Lord, we're grateful that we can come together once again as your people and hear from you through your word how we might know you and live the abundant lives you've called us to live. And I pray that would be the case for each and every one of us as we get into this passage today. And that we might be worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord God, that you would do a wonderful work in each and every one of us so that we would truly know you and serve our neighbors well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it was last January when the leadership at Christ Church took a survey to do some self-examination. What are we doing well? What do we need to improve? And we discovered some good things and some things we need to improve on. You know, they're not obstacles, they're challenges, but there's nothing that the Lord can't do in and through us as we seek to follow Him. And so we discovered, although we had improved in need-oriented evangelism, which was what we had spoken about and talked about and done some training on, and some of us are out there trying to be good witnesses, uh, we've improved in that area, thank God. But what we went down in, more so than anything was when we gather together, are we meeting the Lord in worship and walking away from here having experienced the Lord in inspiring worship? And so that's where we are. And so the health team, not to be confused with the health cabinet, there is no such thing anymore. Those of you who are old St. Barnabas members remember that phrase. That was blood pressure, flu shots, all things health-related. This is spiritual health. This health team we put together, led by Jerry Masick and a wonderful group of people who have sought prayerfully how might we meet the Lord in authentic, Christ-centered, cross-focused worship each and every week as we gathered together, which was truly inspiring. Because we had all kinds of reactions to this from January to today. You had people who would say things like, don't change a thing, I like the service just as it is. But other people says, no, I want more contemporary worship and I want drum sets and guitars and everything. I go, great, do you play? (laughs) No. Uh, Well, then give me $100,000 and we'll hire a music director and pay his insurance and pay everything else it's going to cost us and we can have some more contemporary music because we're not opposed to that. But do we do it well? And is it unto the Lord, or is it just a performance? See, we're not going there, all right? There's other people who say, well, Gene's sermons are just too long. Others have said, well, Gene's sermons aren't relevant. There's others who have said, well, you know, I come through here and nobody ever says hi to me. Okay, we get it. So in the springtime, we took a survey, remember that? And we discovered some good things about us. You know what we discovered? We are thoroughly a community upholds this as God's word written. Praise God. We're a community that believes that such belief in God's word written should be lived out in word and deed out in this community where we live, work, and play. Praise God. We're also a community that believes that our lives individually in our prayer lives should be reflected in our corporate worship as well. We believe that. All those three things. But there's also room for growth. That was very, very balanced. There wasn't 
I thought we'd, we'd, we'd one skew one way or the other, but Jerry and the team discovered, you know, that's not necessarily true. They're pretty balanced. So now we need to just continue to grow in the, those things, grow in the word together, grow in our individual prayer lives together, and therefore our corporate lives as we meet the Lord together on Sunday. Grow in word and deed as we go out into this community. So that's what we've done. We've studied it. We've listened. We've shared the results and the implications of those results. And once again, we're hitting Control-Alt-Delete and kind of rebooting ourselves at Christ Church. We've done this several times, right, in our seven years together since we've become Christ Church West Shore with a goal of gathering each and every Sunday with Christ-centered, cross-focused worship for His glory, not our own. And therefore, we'll meet the Lord every week. Because we've all been to dead churches, right? You've been to them. Whether in our tradition or the others. But in our tradition, you can tell them a mile away. Nobody's singing. You know? The rector starts off with the collect for purity at the beginning of communion service with that priestly voice. Oh, God. (laughs) Unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. And he's just allowed to pray. You know those churches, you aren't allowed to pray the professional praise, right? And therefore, guess what happens? Nobody prays, right? We've been to churches like that. I've been paid by three churches like that. I come from experience in this, all right? Not here. We're not going back to that day. So we've made some changes. You notice we're bringing in a few more songs in the 11 o'clock service to to guide it. We're forgiven people, so we praise the Lord together. And it's it's wonderful. At 8 o'clock, we've brought Amelia Johnson to be our 8 o'clock accompanist, and and our 8 o'clock congregation loves it. You know, my my rector at Trinity Beaver brought an accompanist just a few times, and a couple of members went to the bishop to get him fired. (laughs) You know... I'm not dealing. And those three churches that I worked for are all dying right now. They're not going to make it in the next 20 years. They're not. I told them. I said, this can't remain. Love Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on as we gather together, being a healthy church. So what is a healthy church? Let's review this real quick. Because healthy churches tend to grow. Numerically and in all ways. Healthy church are healthy disciples of Jesus Christ who have a passionate faith for him and want to grow in him. They do life together in holistic small groups. And if you're not plugged into small groups, come to the party tonight at my house because it's going to be one. It's going to be awesome. We're going to grow this ministry. We're going to reach out. The Avon Lake is becoming the Bayvon Lake group because more and more people from Bay are starting to be part of it. And we're going to seek to be a blessing to our neighbors where we live, work, and play. We're going to talk about that tonight. But we do life together, and we develop loving relationships together. Next, as we do so, we engage the community where we live, work, and play, and we share the faith as we meet their needs, because this is good news for everyone. And we have efficient structures in which we minister together, and as we do so, people know their gifts, they use their spiritual gifts, they walk in that. 
And therefore, we become a people that as we gather each and every Sunday, it's made a difference throughout our week, and it makes a difference as we meet the Lord together through His Word. Amen? Amen. That's who we are. That's what a... That's what the type of healthy church we're, we're striving to be and to be obedient to the Lord. Now, we're focusing on worship. And with each and every passing day, our world gets more fast-paced, more filled with our calendars through our iCals and our cell phones. Um, and much and much of our lives and our decision-making is based on feelings, preferences, and, and, and experiences rather than stepping back and seeing what the Lord would have for us, right? And if you look at the culture, I would say in 2018, it's more empty than it's ever been before. Especially with all our age brackets. I can go through every age bracket. Our builders, our boomers, our Gen Xers, our millennials, and now the Gen Zers. People who were born before 1995 to 2012. And what we're seeing in that population is the highest rate of depression we've ever seen. Because they've never lived without one of these. And it's challenging. But the reality is the world, why do we, why do we live this way? Why are we so spiritually empty? I think the answer is, though, many people will tell you with great confidence that we're made just of stuff of earth. I'm here to tell you that this book tells us that we're made of stuff of heaven. And in each and every person on the face of the planet who's creating God's image, there is a desire for intimacy with the infinite. What is intimacy with the infinite? Worship. Okay? Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. And what you will discover is Jesus uses that word in John chapter 4 with this conversation at the woman at the well ten times. That means that this passage in the woman at the well is all about worship. Because she's not worshiping the Lord. So we must ask ourselves, what is this? So over the next three weeks in our series, we have a six-week series. The first, two, first three weeks, we're going to focus on what is worship this week. Why do we worship next week? The week after that, how do we worship? The week after that, how do we prepare ourselves for worship? What do we need to do in order to worship the Lord in spirit and truth? And then we're going to talk about Anglican Worship, Book of Common Prayer, why we do what we do for two weeks. And just, just stress that so we all know what it's all about. And so this week we're going to focus on what is worship. Well, the word that Jesus uses over and over again in verses 15 to 30 is the Greek word proskunio. It's the word which means to recognize something or someone of superior value. And our English word worship is right in line with this Greek word because the word worship today is taken from the Middle English word, you know, the Beowulf English, all right? If you, you ever, everybody ever read Beowulf? Isn't it awful? It's just awful. But in that, you'll find worth-ship. 
It's a Middle English word. You see, and when we think of the word worship or worship, we think of going to church. Or the music director stands up and says, Come, let us worship the Lord together. And what does he do? Breaks into a song, right? We think of it, no, we worship in song. But what we discover is that worship is something we do constantly. Let me give you a few examples. Number one, let's say your grandmother gave you some really set of jewelry as an inheritance. And she passes away, and grandma leaves you all this jewelry. And it's really nice stuff, but yeah, you look at it, go, ah, cool. And you put it in the top drawer of your dresser. Then you have a jeweler friend. You invite over to dinner, and you're in the middle of your conversation at dinner over roast beef. You go, you know, I got some jewelry that my grandmother gave you gave me. Ah, would you take a look at it? I don't know if it's worth anything or not, but it's, it's, it's nice, but it's really old. He says, sure, I'll take a look at it. Bring it down. So you go up to your dresser, you bring it back, and he starts to look at it, and he goes, you got to be kidding me. Do you realize what this is? This is unbelievably valuable. Not only are these rare, precious stones, this jewelry was created by a 19th century Swiss, Swiss jewelry master. There's very few of these over the entire world. It's so rare. This jewelry is worth millions. What happens to you at that moment? Your entire attitude about grandma's jewelry changes. Four things. You begin to admire it now. Because the jeweler's saying, look at this stone. Look how it shines when it's reflected off the light. Look at this, the gold band. Look at the craftsmanship that's there. You start to look at it. You get a little in awe of it. You start to drink it in a little bit and see its beauty and the value of it. And secondly, you just don't admire it. You start to think of the implications of the value of that for your life. You begin to think now how your life will be completely different than before. You begin to think how many things there are so different you'd be able to do that you'd never do before. You start to think of how the value of this thing is going to impact your life. Third, of course, you also begin to change your attitude and behavior towards it. You're not putting this back in the drawer. You're going down to Key Bank and you're getting yourself a safety deposit box. You're willing to pay the $300 and put it in there. And last... You invest in it. Because as your jewelry friend starts to speak to you, he says, look, with, the, with a little bit of investment, this thing's going to double in value. I'm telling you, this is amazing. But the only way you're going to get someone to work on it is that only one jeweler in the world who will work in it, and that person's in Geneva, Switzerland. And it's going to cost you $15,000. Do you bother to do that now? Oh, yeah. Here's Jack. He's going, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> exactly. Why? Because your attitude's completely changed towards it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is worth ship.
The jeweler's led you in worship. He's shown you the beauty. He's shown you the reality that in the midst of your life, you've had this incredible thing and you've never even paid attention to it. And you haven't even recognized the value of it and you're not living properly unto the value of that thing. You didn't even realize the implications of you. And as you fill your mind with it and the awe and the joy that comes, you start, your behavior starts to change and you start to invest in it. And that's worship. Let's say grandma leaves you also a little itty bitty cottage built in the 19 early 30s overlooking Lake Erie out towards Vermilion. Okay? Everybody's been to Vermilion. Beautiful little town. Diane lives there. God bless her. She commutes every Sunday. That's why we're West Shore and beyond. <laughs> Some real estate assessor comes out to you and look, he goes, you know, I assess this value of this property, even with this dumpy little cottage that Grandma has. It's about 400000 but with a little bit of investment. It's overlooking the lake. It's worth a million. Would you invest that $10,000 in improvements? Of course. Because the broker's shown you the worth of it. Let's say you own Grandpa's 1985 Pontiac Bonneville. And you take it in, and he says, well, it's going to cost you about $15,000 to fix it. No way. You know? It's worth more junked. But let's say you got $15,000, the same amount to fix the Bonneville, the same amount to fix the jewelry, and a stockbroker comes to you, a reliable, honest stockbroker who's done his research. There are such things, by the way. Yeah. But they come to you, and they've done their research, cutting edge, and a certain stock is going to improve threefold over the next three years. A hundredfold. Tremendous amount. And he says, you've got to put everything you got into this thing. Trust me on this one. It's going to blow up. And you know it is true. It's going to happen. You've done your research. This is amazing. Why is anybody else doing it? I don't know. I don't care. Everything you turn into cash and you have to buy it. Your investment must be total. What are these people doing? The jeweler, the realtor, the stockbroker. They're saying to us, surprise, there's a reality in your life of which you are not aware of the worth. Fill your mind with awe. Fill your mind with the value of it and let that change the way in which you behave toward it. It will lead you to the joy of knowing how this changes your life and it will lead you to completely change your behavior toward that thing. And it will lead you to invest in all sorts of valuable things in it now that you never saw before. That is worship. And we'd see it all the time in our lives. So what is the worship of God? The worship of God? My friends, it's just doing what you do all the time with almost everything else but God. 
To worship God means you take this dynamic and you use it towards Jesus again and again and again, not only assessing him of high value, but giving him ultimate value. Investing of much more, you invest everything you have in your relationship with Jesus Christ and exalting him. Because if it's true there's diamonds and it's true that there's stocks that are of so much value that it would change our entire lives, then every bit of what we have, surely it must be true that if you come before God himself, God can demand such worship. And he does. We saw it in Psalm 95. You know, he's getting a little tired of Israel. Forty years long, I detested this generation and said these people are wavering their hearts so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Hello? (laughs) My friends, how much more would God demand a proper response with awe and joy and much more the thought about the implication of what that means for my daily life and how much he is worth in my life? How much less casually can you throw Jesus into the top of your spiritual drawer and just leave him there? In God, the dynamic of worship reaches a height. And whenever you see any account in the scripture of someone who gets it, it changes them forever. Iris read from us Isaiah 6. He walks into the temple and he's absolutely struck with a picture of God. He sees God high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. I want you to understand this, okay? The temple is 60 yards long, 30 yards wide, with ceilings that are 207 feet high. You ever been to the cathedrals of Europe? My favorite in England was the Cathedral of Wells. If you've never been there, there, do yourself a favor and go. It is stunning with little 150-foot ceilings. The temple was 207 feet. (laughs) So Isaiah is looking up and just the train of his robe fills the temple. And he's filled with awe because he's seen God's glory. He's seen God's majesty. And if you keep reading, what you discover is God needs someone to go speak for him. And he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. And his mouth is cleansed with a hot coal from the altar. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And then he says, All right. Go, Isaiah. And if you keep reading, they're not going to listen to you. Ever. (laughs) And by the way, all this priestly wealth that you get, because priests did very well financially in the ancient world, my friends. It was a good position financially. You just have to trust me, Isaiah, because you're not going to earn a thing. Because these people aren't going to listen to a word you're saying. And he goes. Why? Because when I see the worth of who you are, Lord God, and the worth of what you've given me, to give you anything less than all I am is a crucifixion of my intelligence. And it's a crucifixion of my decency. No, I'll give you everything I have. 
Lord God, and follow you because of your love. I don't need the successful life. Now that I have you, what more could I want? I'm going to give it all because I know how much you're worth. Stephen did the same thing. Acts chapter 7. He's about to be executed by the religious leaders of that day. He's standing up there. They're giving him one last word. He looks up to heavens and he says, I see God the Father seated on his throne and the Son of Man seated at his right hand. What's he doing? His last moments were worshiping. How is he so courageous and I'm not? It's because of that moment he's got his sense of proportion. And he realized that he was being asked to spend something that was very small compared to the love of God for him in eternity. Let's say somebody came up to you and said, Hey, I'm selling Altoids. You know? And he offers you an Altoid. And you say, How much for this Altoid? Ten bucks. You'd say, get out of here. I'm not spending 10 bucks for one mint. Suddenly, $10 seems very big, doesn't it? Right? Somebody else comes along. Beautiful, brand new, 2018 Chevy Corvette from Joe Ferment Chevrolet. <laughs> he says, hey, I'll sell you this. Fresh, brand new Corvette right off the lot. How much? $10. Sold. <laughs> you, you know how many Mitchell's ice cream you could buy for $10? You know, a lot. Is that what you're thinking? No. You're thinking, man, here it is. Because is it a piece of gum or is it a Corvette? $10 is not $10. $10, what it means to you is how easy it is for you to give it up. Depends completely on the worth of the object before you. Why does Stephen have all this courage? Why is it Isaiah has all this liberty? It's because at that moment, what God is asking of them and what God is saying, one case, God is saying to you, I want you, Isaiah, to invest yourself in a career that will be an utter failure. He says to Stephen, I want you to die a bloody death. And these guys look at him and say, 10 bucks? Sure. You got me, Lord. If you have any trouble relating to it like this, to the Lord like this, perhaps you've never really tasted real worship of Jesus Christ. We used to live in southern Maryland, three minutes from the Chesapeake Bay in Lusby, Maryland. And it was a Christmas when Zach was five and Ben was three. They were into these toys called Rescue Heroes. It was based on a cartoon. They didn't even watch cartoons. But they were really cool toys. So we bought the Rescue Heroes for Zach and Ben. And Grammy bought everything else. It was obnoxious. You know, you know we just bought the dolls. She bought the, the space station, the rescue station, and the tanks, and the airplanes, and all the other, all their little rescue hero buddies, and the animals that go along with the rescue heroes, and off they were to do these great rescue missions off Mount Everest. 
because that's what they did. And Zach, uh, Zach slept with Jake Justice, and Ben slept with Billy Blaze for months. They loved those guys, and they were really cool. You know, I've kept them, by the way. You know, as they got older and they stopped playing with them, I just took them and put them away, cleaned them up, and they're up in my attic now because when I have grandsons, I'm pulling them out because we're going to play Rescue Heroes. Now, if you went to Zach and Ben when they were five and three and said, hey, I'll trade you those rescue heroes that you sleep with, you eat with, and you play with 24-7, traded for a house overlooking the Chesapeake Bay. What would they have said? No. Because all they know is Billy Blaze and Jake Justice are more real to them than any abstract house overlooking the Chesapeake Bay. They're children. They don't have a sense of proportion. So in closing this morning, I want to ask you, what is your proportion? What do you think when you think of Jesus Christ and his love for you upon the cross? Did you see all the things of this life which we put above him and a walk with him that seem so dear? They seem so big. They seem so important. Next to walking with Jesus Christ, they're just a little dull. And he wants us to put them away. Our selfishness, our self-pity, our self-hatred, our discouragement, our worship of sports teams, our worship of our kids' sports, our worship of our kids and the way we parent them. They're all dolls. And God is saying to us, grow up in me. We have to grow up and worship God in Jesus Christ. You do it with everything else, why not do it with Jesus? Look at all the people throughout history. I mean, Thomas Cranmer, the first Anglican Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury. He's about to die at the stake and be burned to death and he holds out the right hand of which he recanted. He recanted his recantation and he wouldn't recant that so they killed him. He held his hand first over the flame because that's the hand which wrote it and I didn't believe it with my heart and it will be the first to burn. How did he have such courage to stay there? It's amazing. A lot of people say, well, they just don't grow them like that anymore. (laughs) Yeah, they do. He was just an ordinary guy who loved the Lord, loved God's people, and heavily valued salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if you look throughout all of church history, my friend, there will be story after story, people who are willing to give up their reputations lose their livelihood, lose their lives perhaps. Look at what they did and how they lived. Don't say they don't grow them like that anymore because they were ordinary people, just like you and me. And by very definition, anything of this earth which we put above the Lord, by definition, is an idol. And John Calvin would say our hearts are idol manufacturers. We come by it very easy. 
And so to be relevant this week, as we chew on this throughout this week, I want you to answer two questions for yourself. First question is, what in your life are you worshiping above Jesus? What are you worshiping above Jesus? And secondly, what so-called necessities of life might keep you from noticing the deeper needs in your own life and the lives of others? Two, what so-called necessities of life might keep you from noticing the deeper needs in your own life or in the lives of others? You see, the train of Jesus' robe filled the temple. The train of Jesus' robe filled the temple. And Isaiah was filled with awe. And this same Jesus, for you and me, came down from heaven and climbed upon a cross and died the death that we couldn't die. And he is holy and just and at the same time merciful who calls you his beloved child. And he would go after you like that one sheep of the 99. He would come after you, put him on, your shoulders, on his shoulders and bring you home and rejoice that you're home. Because he loves you that much. There's no sin you can commit that's so bad that he can't forgive. Nothing you can do that will make him love you any less than he already does. So therefore, my friends, you see the beauty, right? You see the awe. I've explained that there's a reality in your life that perhaps you haven't recognized. And because you didn't recognize the value of it, perhaps you're not living properly under that reality and you've had him in the drawer. Let's take him out of the drawer. Let's put him out in the open. Let's have a right attitude towards him and realize the implications for our lives. And as you fill your mind with the awe which leads to joy, which leads to a change in behavior and leads into an investment. Come join us tonight at the Avon Lake Group. We'd love to have you. Because the reality is all of our lives of worship. Let's make sure we worship Jesus in spirit and in truth for such the Father seeks to worship him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your word you've shown us this morning what it is to look to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and admire you and the love he has for you in each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, that throughout this six weeks we would examine the implications of the cross and the value of Jesus' life for us. And Lord, by your grace, through faith and trust in him alone, we would change our behavior towards Jesus. And we would invest in growing in our relationship with him and therefore go forth and be a blessing in word and deed and worship you above all. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.